Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your love, most of all for your love. Everything comes out of your love for us. And Father, we ask you tonight as we open the Word of God together that you would bring us into a greater awareness of the love that you have for us and what you've already done for us in Christ. Father, your Word tells us that the Holy Spirit's been given to us to search into the depths of your heart and to reveal to us the things that are in your heart that are freely given to us. And so we look to the Holy Spirit tonight to do that in our lives tonight through your word. There is an anointing upon your word, and as we open your word together, Father, we're trusting that you are going to do exactly what you promised to do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, I'm going to... Anybody else talking out there? Okay. I'm going to get into teach something tonight I have never taught here before. I'm going to get into a part of Scripture I have never, ever taught here as far as I remember, except I may have referred to it in School of Ministry, and I may have only taught on this once in some 25 years of ministry. So if you open your Bible with me to the book of Philemon, Phi who? Some of you look at me like, there's a book, Philemon? Yeah, there is. It's one chapter. It's right before the book of Hebrews. So you find Hebrews 1.1 and turn left. And we're going to find this very important little book. There is nothing in the Bible that's not important. Some, some books, to me, have a greater importance than others. But anything, God can speak to us out of anything in the Bible. So although I may have some chapters and some books that are, have ministered to me more, every time this book opens, I'm expecting God to speak to me. So I'm expecting that tonight. And I just was praying this morning. I really had a sense that, that I needed to get back in the pulpit on Wednesday night. And, and I was saying, Lord, I just, you know, what do you want me to do? And I would love to say I had some booming voice that said, Philemon. But it doesn't usually work that way. I just kind of listen to what's inside of me. And it's like somehow this book came to me. And it's like it's a nice little contained book. And I remembered some things out of it from when I taught before. But as I began to look through it uh, today and was beginning to to study it and kind of meditate on it, uh, and with lots of distractions during the day, um, there were some things that came out of it. So we're just going to launch into it. This is short enough. We're just going to read through it. And then I'm going to go through it. And then I'm going to go through it with you, and we'll just see what the Spirit of God brings out. I want to give you a little bit of background before we get into it, because it will help you as we read through it. This is a personal letter. Most of, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a gentleman named Philemon, appropriately enough. And most of Paul's letters were written to churches or groups of churches in areas. But there's someone talking backstage, so if you could please stop it. Would somebody go? Thank you, Ralph. Because uh, they don't know that they're being heard out here, and it's distracting to me. I want to hear from the Holy Ghost, not backstage. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and it's a letter, it's a letter, that, a personal letter written from the Apostle Paul to a man who lived in Colossae. And this, Colossae is a city in, in, in Greece where there was a church, and that's where the letter to the Colossians was written to. And if you look at the end of the, end of the letter written to the Colossians, you'll find that Paul is sending another letter back to Philemon with Onesimus and some others. I think Epaphras went with him. So with a letter that Paul was sending to the church in Colossae, he's sending a personal letter to what we'll see as we get into it, 
to the gentleman that was most likely hosting this church because they didn't have buildings like this in those days. That really didn't start until about the third century. Most of the churches until the third century were held in people's homes, kind of like our connect groups. And some of them became very large and they became groups of, of, of home churches together. Um, but that's what this was. And so Philemon, is, it sounds, it's clearly the, the church was held in his home. And he may well have been the pastor or some leading f- figure. So this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul while he's in jail, somewhere around 60 to 61 A.D. in his first imprisonment. During his first imprisonment, he was allowed visitors. So he had people come to him. He was able to teach them. And what we're going to see is uh, Onesimus, whom this is the subject of this letter, was he was, um, he was a, a runaway slave. He had been Philemon's slave that had run away probably because he stole something. He ran away. He ends up in Rome, and he meets the Apostle Paul and gets saved. And so with that background, what we're going to see is this letter deals with Paul sending him back to his master. And so we'll read through it, and then we're going to go through some of what what this is all all about. Um, Okay. First one. There's only one chapter, so it's easy. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, and to the beloved Aphia, whom some believe was Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So although this is a personal letter to Philemon, Paul was expecting that all the people in the church were going to get to read this letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts out like most of Paul's letter. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Now stop there a second. I've taught you before. In many cases, Paul's approach when he's going to write something to a church, or in this case to an individual, and he's going to bring a little bit of correction. Sometimes he's very firm. Sometimes he kind of is gentle but suggests things, and that's what we're going to see here. But he almost always, when he's going to correct, starts out by praising them, reminding them in many cases of what God's done for them. And then the best rest of the letter is saying, now since this is what God's done for you, you need to act like it. You need to act like who you really are. And that's an important lesson for us because a lot of times we're trying to make changes in our life without truly renewing our mind to who God's made us to be. So we're trying to act on something that isn't even real in us yet. In many ways, for instance, the Bible commands us to love one another, but a lot of times we're trying to give give away a love we haven't fully received yet. So we're trying to do it by our own effort, and you know you're trying to do it by that because you wear out and it doesn't work because eventually you run out of your own best efforts and you get ticked off at the person you're trying to love. Ever just determined you're going to walk in love one day? I warn you if you're going to do that, be ready because it's going to get tested. And so God's method, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, freely you've received, freely give. So the way you receive and what you receive is what God is asking us to give. So God doesn't ever ask you to give something he hasn't given to you. So in many cases, we haven't renewed our mind. It's like trying to go up the steps too fast and you'll trip and fall up the steps. It's kind of awkward and embarrassing. The worst thing is doing it downstairs because you can get hurt. 
It's taking one step at a time. And the first step is receiving from God what He's done for us, which is, and sometimes we've received it and we just forget we need to be reminded. So Paul is starting out here by just loving on Philemon. And Paul's sincere. I don't believe Paul is manipulating in any way. He's calling to mind, because he prays for him every day. He's calling to mind how much he loves him and how he sees him, which of course then is how God sees Philemon. Hearing of your love, verse 5, and the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints. This is a very important verse. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That is a very powerful, pregnant verse. The sharing of your faith becomes effective as you acknowledge every good thing which is already in you in Christ. So many times we're trying to out there share our faith without knowing and understanding what God's already put in us. And that's when it becomes legalistic and a hard work and we get tired and we get worn out, which is why I believe the church doesn't witness more because we don't have much to witness about. We're still struggling ourselves. And so we're not going to dwell on that. That's a whole study in and of itself. Verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the, because the hearts of the saints have been, re, have been refreshed by you, brother. So he's reminding Philemon of what he's heard about him. He said, look, whatever, you know, we don't know exactly what his role in this church was, whether he was the pastor or just the host. He says, but I've heard how you've refreshed the saints with your love for them and that you've been a witness of the love of Christ for you as you've shared this love with your saints, with the saints around you, and as you've come to realize what Christ has done for you, it is in any acknowledgement of that, you've been sharing your faith with your brethren. So he's, in, he's reminding him of what Paul has heard he's like, because we're going to see in a few minutes he draws on that. He draws on that to stretch him. God builds in your life. He, God, God is at work in you through the Holy Spirit to form Christ in you. You need to understand that. When you got saved, whether you, I, well, I didn't know what happened when I got saved. I just knew that something happened inside of me. And then I found out it meant I wasn't going to have to go to hell, which was good news. And found out I was going to get to go to heaven. That's even better news. But I had no idea. Then God starts dealing with things inside of me habits that I had, which nobody told me I had to change, but he starts dealing with me out of the word. And what I discover is God was at work in me to make changes on the inside of me. Not because people told me I had to, but because I began to have a desire to do that. And the spirit of God inside of me was at work in me because his resp- one of his responsibilities is to form Christ in you. And so Paul is working on that and he does it in stages. So you, you, you never arrive but we, you, it'd be good news if you're further along now than you were five years ago, or even last year, hopefully. So he's, but, but Paul's reminding him of what he's been like because he's about to challenge him to grow. He's about to challenge him to grow. And so when, sometimes God will talk to you and say, you know, you've been doing a great job here. He's preparing you to grow. And when he does it, he's not angry at you. He's just challenging you because he knows what you can handle at what point in your stage of growth. So that's what Paul's doing here. One of the reasons this is a valuable letter is because we can learn some things about how God deals with us as we look at how Paul dealt with and ministered to this, this man of God.
Verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. So Paul often had a little sarcasm in what he wrote. And I'm not so sure he's being sarcastic here. A lot of 2 Corinthians is, is sarcasm, which is why many people misunderstand it. When Paul talks about, uh, about the thorn in his flesh, it was, it's all in sarcasm. And he tells you it is if you read several chapters earlier. Um, and I've got to be careful. I don't get off on too many side tangents here. But Paul is reminding, is reminding Philemon very gently that because that Paul led Philemon to the Lord. Paul was his father in the faith. Paul was an apostle called by Christ. Paul was the apostle to whom Jesus personally appeared and personally gave the revelation of the doctrine of righteousness by faith, which is two-thirds of the New Testament. So Paul walked with a level of authority. In 2 Corinthians, he refers to this authority when he's talking to the Corinthians because he is correcting them there. He says, the authority that God given me, gave me for your edification, not for tearing you down which is a lesson that God-given authority is always to edify, to build up. doesn't mean it makes you feel better, but it's to encourage you, to strengthen you, never to tear down. And so Paul refers to the authority he has, and what he's telling Philemon here is, he says, if I wanted to, I could exercise my authority and command you to do what I'm about to do, ask you to do. But what he's going to say is, but I would rather you do it because it's the right thing to do. And that's a perfect picture of our Father. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5, the writer of Hebrews talks about God as our Father, and because He's our Father, and because He loves us, He will correct us. In other words, He will not leave us where we are. The wonderful phrase, I think it's so good, God loves you enough to accept you, God accepts you where you are, but loves you enough to not leave you there. So if He's working in you, if He's correcting you, it's because He loves you, and it's out of love. And, and God's method of correcting is laid out in Hebrews 12. We're not going to go into that tonight. But it basically starts out by just speaking to you. Saying, you know, John, you know, you know better than that. You know you shouldn't do that. And he'll start out gently. Because what he wants to do is what every father, every parent wants their child to do is simply respond to their words. I could get off in this in parenting. We're going to do something on parenting next year. But, but one of the things is a, is a parent needs to understand that your role as a parent, one of your roles as a parent, is to train your children so that when they are old enough to leave your home, on their own they know what's right and wrong. So you don't have to follow them around because they're not going to call you and ask you. So you don't have to follow them around and tell them when they're 30 years old, that's not right. Now sometimes when they're 30 years old, you've got to remind them of what's right. But, but you should not have to. So what the process is, is when they're younger, is they, the lesson they need to learn is to simply do something because you say so. They need to do it because you said so, because they need to know, first of all, you're the boss. And by learning that, they're going to learn that God's the boss. But then there comes a point where they need some understanding of why not, that we shouldn't do that. So that as they're getting older, they can process in their own mind why that's right and what's wrong so they can make that judgment themselves. And I went through all that because God is a father and he wants us to develop and mature in our own judgment so that ultimately we'll make decisions the way Jesus would make decisions. That's what his goal is working in us. So what Paul's doing here is he's reminding him, look, I have the authority as your spiritual father to simply command you to do 
but I would rather see you mature and grow than do what I'm going to ask you to do because it's in your heart, not because I'm making you do it. It's always better when we do something out of our heart, not because we have to. That's one of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God governed by fear. In Exodus 19, God had Moses bring the people out around the base of the mountain. And God came down on that mountain, and He came down there in a terrifying form. He came down there in thunder and lightning, and the ground shook, and the people were terrified, and they ran away. Now, that wasn't God's goal, but God wanted them to have a respect and a reverence for who He was so that they would obey Him. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So in the New Testament, God wants us to obey him out of love, not out of fear. I know I'd much rather have my children obey me because they love me, not because I'm going to hit them, disinherit them or things like that, because, because they love me and respect me and, and respect my, my judgment as a father and just me as a father. I had one of them come to me the other day because I'd made a decision and they said, look, I may not agree with your decision, but I respect you for making that decision, so I'm going to submit to it and follow it. Now that's what you want to hear. And so, so that's what Paul is calling Philemon up to. All right, let's move along here. So therefore, I may be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Look at nine, verse 9. Yet for love's sake... I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, he may be playing a little heartstring here. I don't know. Paul was not above that. Uh, where he's reminding them, you know, I'm an old man now. I'm in prison now. So maybe you ought to respect me a little bit. I, we don't know because we don't hear the tone of his voice. But Paul clearly was, was the mature one in the church at that point, And he was in prison. Now what we're going to see, what he's dealing with in this letter is Onesimus was a, had been a slave. Onesimus was a runaway slave. And under Roman law, and I assume under Greek law, a slave was not a person. A slave had no rights. It was, it was, they were property. So they had no say in anything. And as because they were property, their master had the complete authority and right to do with them whatever they wanted to do. And especially if they ran away, that was rebellion. And especially if they ran away because they stole something, which is kind of implied here, then the the, the owner had the right to execute them at will. So what's happened here, again, is Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And for whatever reason, he ran away. He ends up in Rome and gets saved. Philemon was saved, and they both been saved under Paul's ministry. And what we're going to see is Paul is going to send Onesimus back. And we'll talk about why in a few minutes. So Paul is, is, is reminding him, he keeps reminding him, I'm in prison. So this man was a slave and I'm in prison. I'm a slave of Christ. I appeal to you, verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Now the last time Philemon saw Onesimus, he was his slave. And what we're talking about here is Paul wants to get across, and this is really the subject of the substance of what we're going to talk about tonight. Paul wants to get across to Philemon that Onesimus, the slave's identity, has changed. Okay, that's a little clue. 
I appeal to you for my son, for my son Onesimus. Now, he's not his physical son. He's his son in the faith. Whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you when he was your slave, but now he's profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart. In other words, what I desire in my heart is for you to receive him. Whom I, verse 13, whom I wished to keep with me, and wish, I'd rather have kept him with me, that, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, but as it were, voluntary. So what Paul is saying here, it's a little tricky here to understand what Paul's saying, but it's very important. Paul is saying to him, not only could I order you to do this, but I am returning him to you. I would rather keep him. I, mean, I hope you see the awkward, difficult situation this is. And this is part of what I want to talk to you about tonight. Because until Onesimus was born, he was saved, and Philemon was saved, they had a very understandable, clear-cut relationship, no confusion in it. Philemon was the master, Onesimus was the slave, Philemon owned Onesimus. Whatever Philemon said, Onesimus had to do, or he could be executed. Onesimus had no rights, he had no say, he just did whatever he was told to do, and if he was the menial task, whatever it was, he was property. He had no rights. And that was their natural, and I don't mean natural in the sense of God-given, but that was the condition that they were in when they came to Christ. But coming to Christ changed everything. And part of what I believe God wants us to see tonight is apply this to us. Because before you came to Christ, you were something. I was a lawyer. And that gave me, in society, a certain status. In some societies, a good one. Someone's, hmm. It gave me a certain income. It gave me a certain education level. It gave me a certain authority in some places. It, 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 and, 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 and it was amazing because when I got saved, I was working in a very large law firm, and this was back in the 70s, and I didn't know that I didn't think anybody was saved in that law firm, and I found the young secretary was saved. And the amazing thing is, here I was, a senior associate, and here was this young secretary, and when we would talk about Christ, we were equals. Can you see that? And that takes a mental adjustment but this adjustment is so important. This is what I really believe God wants to say to us. And this is what we either forget or many Christians don't understand. That when you come to Christ, your identity changes. And we like all the good parts of that. My sins are forgiven. I'm now a child of God. But in order for your identity to change, you've got to be willing to let go of who you used to be. Now, I didn't stop being a lawyer. But my identity had to change. My identity was no longer, I'm John Pfeffer, I'm a senior associate at Warner Sackpole. I was now a child of God, that was just the place God had me, temporarily, which is why I was able to walk away from it when God told me to leave, because it was no longer my identity. 
when the Lord told us to move to Oklahoma, he went with us. My identity went with us as well as my family. And so what Paul's get, what's, what's at issue here is, and I want you to get the, 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 the drama of this, is, is, is when Philemon last saw Onesimus, he was his property, just like his cow was. And just like his chicken was, Onesimus was his property. And now he finds out that this slave that used to be his property is now his brother in Christ. And that requires an adjustment in their relationship. Now what we see here in these verses is Paul saying, I would personally rather keep him with me because he's profitable to me. And there's a, there's a lesson of integrity in this. Because let's go back. I want to read this again. We're just going to follow it. We will probably not finish this tonight. Let's go, let's go back to verse 11 again. He was once unprofitable to you, but now he's profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him because that is my own heart. That's what's in my heart is that you'll receive this man who I wished, verse 13, to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. In other words, I would love to keep him with me because he's ministering to me. But what I realize is that I don't have the right to do that. Because this man was once your property. Now, Paul understands he's not your property anymore spiritually. But legally he still was. So what Paul is saying here is although spiritually things have changed, we now still have to make things right legally. Some of you look at me like, what's that all about? It's called integrity. Paul is saying, I do not have a right to keep him, even though I'm his spiritual father and I'm your spiritual father. Things were not right between you and Nisimus when he left. There was a broken relationship and it's illegal for him to stay with me, so he needs to go back and make this right with you. We don't like to hear this nowadays. But God wants us to make things right with people. And, and we don't like to confront things and face things. And I, I really don't like to confront things. I'm a peacemaker. I like to make everything peaceful. But there are things you just have to confront sometimes and make them right because there's a broken relationship here. Now, the old relationship was master and slave, but what's going to happen is they're now brothers in Christ, but they have a legal break in their relationship. And Paul is saying... This cannot go on and prosper me and you unless we rectify this. And so I'm sending him back to you to make this right. And I would prefer that you make it right with him because out of your own heart of love for me and now for him as your brother, you will want to do this. But I could command you to do this if I wanted to. Everybody following me so far? Three of you, okay, all right. Either that or you just don't like it. Verse 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose 
that you might receive him forever. And he said, I don't know. God has a purpose in this. I don't know what it is. Verse 16, receive him forever. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So what Paul is saying is, I want you, now what you need to realize is I'm sending him back to you. And although legally he's still your slave, spiritually he's your brother. And now you have to make an adjustment in your relationship with him because of who he now is in Christ and who you now are in Christ. Lord, help me to say this the right way. I get very concerned. I get very concerned because I hear people, and it's not just here, I've heard it other places, and I've heard it for years. I get very concerned. Let's go to a verse. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll come back here. And I don't want to get into any difficult controversial issues tonight because they really shouldn't be because we want to do things based on the word, right? We don't think based we don't think do things based on politics. We don't do things based on Facebook. We don't do base things based on if we're Christians. If we're really Christians and there are people that go to church that aren't real Christians. Because a real Christian is a disciple of Christ. And that means the Word is what governs in our life. I've listened to one teacher. He says, it really seems like in the, in the church, he says, uh, how does he put it? Uh, people don't want the Bible to get in the way of what they believe. And, and you know, we joke at that, but we have to check ourselves because that can be an underlying attitude. I, and I have to deal with that because there's some things I've started listening to. I don't like that, so I don't want to listen to it. Well, the Bible's not a smorgasbord. It's not a buffet where you can pick and choose the desserts, but you've got to make, you know, you, the Brussels sprouts and the green beans and the things that are good for you, 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 you keep, don't have to eat. The, 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 this has got to be the authority in our life, especially in the times we live in. Because it's one thing if you were living in a nation that's godly by its, by its basic, by its basic uh, 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 culture, but we're not in a, in a, in a country that's any more a godly, cultural, culturally a godly, godly country. I, don't, I believe it's not too late, but that's not where we are now. And so, so we, have to, we have to judge things based on the Word, not on what's popular on the Internet, not on what other so-called Christians are saying on Facebook or on some blog, because I'm not going to stand in front of them. I'm going to stand in front of the author of this book. And, and this book never fails. This book will see you through. And we've got to learn, again, I said this Sunday, one of the things that runs chills up and down my spiritual spine as a pastor is those verses in Timothy where he says, in those last days, perilous times, many, he's talking about Christians, will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Jesus said there's two roads. There's a wide road that's easy to go down and it's very popular, but there's a narrow road that not many find it. Why? Because it's a difficult road. It's narrow. And the truth is narrow. We live in an age of tolerance. Where as long as people feel good... Oh, John, be careful. 
They call this young generation the snowflake generation. You know what a snowflake is? It's a beautiful thing until any, it get, hits anything warmer than it, and what happens? It just melts. And we've got a generation that's being raised that is the moment anything goes wrong, they fall apart. And we're talking about kids raised in church. Why? Because we've also got a generation and a generation before it that doesn't know much about this word. That's not well grounded in this word and in the doctrine of this word. So when there's confusing things out there, I don't know what's right and I don't know what's wrong. This is what's right. This is what's right. And this is what I will preach. And if it's just me here on Sunday preaching this, this is what I'm going to preach. Because I've asked the Lord, Lord, there's some difficult issues out there, even within this church right now. Lord, what do we do? He says, what does my word says? It says, preach the word. Preach the word. Don't get into psychology. Don't get into theories. Preach the word. All right, that's enough of that. Where was I before you interrupted me? Oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay. We'll get into this a little bit here. Uh, he talks before this about the love of Christ compels me because if one died, all died. Verse 15. And, and he died, that's Christ, for all. That's for us. That those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves. We could stop right there. Christ died for all of us so that those who of us who live with us, li- live with him, should no longer live for ourselves. So this is not about me. This is not about you. It's not what about what I like, you like. It's not about, I'm headed somewhere with this, I believe. It's not, it's, it, we don't live for ourselves. Then what do we do? But for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, which means because of that, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. The word regard means evaluate, understand, recognize, categorize, identify. That means if you are in Christ, we are no longer to identify who we are and who each other is according to the outward person. That means age, that means Sex or gender, which, by the way, are the same thing. That means skin color. That means national background. That doesn't mean we're ignorant of it, but we don't acknowledge as the identity any of those things. If we're in Christ. If there's really been a change. Because what Paul is telling Philemon is there's a radical change come about in your relationship with this man that used to be your slave. And again, we can't understand the enormity of this change. It wasn't like he was an employee. He was property. And now he's his brother. And Paul says he's your beloved brother. I mean, there can't be any just greater change. This Onesipus went from being a menial slave in his household to a family member. 
And Philemon didn't see it happen. It happened in Rome. And Paul sending Onesimus with some other gentlemen back with a letter explaining this. So Philemon has an adjustment to me. And by the way, so does Onesimus. And so do we. Because what we're going to see, we won't get into this tonight, there's a direct parallel between these, char- these characters, these people, and God the Father, God the Son, and you. And we'll see that. Because what we'll see is this is like Christ pleading to the Father on your behalf. Once you were a slave, and now you're a son. So we'll get into that down the road. We'll explain that in more, difficult, more, more detail as we go. But I want you to see the message here. The significance of this message. Paul is saying, I could command this of you, but I want you, listen carefully. Oh, this is so important. I want you out of love to make this adjustment. Not because I command it, but out of love for who Christ is in this brother of yours now. I don't know whether you're struggling with this. I'm going to go anyway. I'm just showing you what the Word says. From now on, we regard no one. That doesn't mean I don't look at you and say, oh, you know, your color of skin is different than mine. But it means I don't evaluate you. I don't, your identity isn't based on that. And my identity isn't based on that. And it's not just skin color. It's also nationality. It's age or you know, gender or sex. It's all of these things. So therefore, we do not... Ju- we do not evaluate according to the flesh. Even though we, look at this, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we don't know Him that way any longer, anymore either. So, now Paul was not one of those ones who knew Him according to the flesh, but Peter did, John did, other disciples did, and he's saying, our relationship with Him has changed because we used to see Him according to the flesh, but now our relationship with Him is spirit to spirit. It's not based on how I see Him on the outside. Which is why, oh, I better not go into that. (laughs) It's not that important. All right. It's okay to have pictures of Jesus in your house, so don't go pull them off the wall tonight. But just be careful. They're not photographs. You realize that. There's no photographs of him. Okay, so that's someone's idea of what he looked like, but he's not in that picture frame. And there's the danger, because if we start talking to a picture and thinking of him as a picture, C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of the screw tape letters, then what happens is we're forming a carnal relationship with him, whereas the Bible says in John, John 4, 24, that God is spirit, and those who worship him, which means those who fellowship with him, those who pray with him, must do it spirit to spirit, because God is a spirit, and he's put his spirit inside of you and made you of his spirit. So we have a spirit-to-spirit, listen carefully, we have now a spirit-to-spirit identity with Him, with Him, but we also have a spirit-to-spirit identity with each other. So Paul is saying here, so just as you understand, whereas once we had a relationship with Jesus based on what we saw with the outer man, 
So we could look in a crowd and say, ah, yeah, there's Christ. I recognize him. I know he's here because I know what he looks like. I know the color of his eyes. I know what his hair looks like. I know the robe he wears. He said, we can't do that anymore. It now requires spiritual discernment. In the same way, therefore, if anyone, we don't recognize Christ according to the flesh anymore. Verse 17. This is a familiar verse, but now you can see the background to it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means if you're saved, he is a new creation. Paul's talking about our identity here. How we see ourselves and how we see one another. And Paul is saying, just as we don't regard Christ the same way anymore based on what he physically looks like, we don't regard, can't regard one another that way anymore either. Not only each other, but ourselves also. How are we to regard one another? If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. That word new implies a brand new type. Some translations say a new species of being, one that has never existed before. This is so critical to you being able to walk a victorious life in this earth, is knowing, changing your identity. You're not the person you were before you came to Christ. Your body may be the same. You may have the same skin color. You may have the same amount of hair, or maybe not so much as I do. My hair is not the same color. It's not the same. But from the moment before I was born again and the moment after I was born again, there was no change in my physical appearance except there was a smile on my face. Why? Because the change didn't take place in that. So Paul is saying, therefore we're not to regard ourselves, evaluate ourselves, identify ourselves based on who this outer man is. Not only am I not supposed to evaluate who you are based on that, I'm not supposed to evaluate who I am based on that anymore either. So how are we? We're supposed to, our identities now changed. You are now a new, if you're in Christ, if you're truly saved, you are a new creation, new. <laughs> new. New. You gotta let that sink in. One of the things I love to observe is when a new mother brings her baby to church except if it's in the middle of service and afterwards everybody gathers around this child saying oh oh, isn't he cute isn't she cute he's got your eyes and your feet and you just and they get so excited ever think about that why I mean it's not like the baby's brought any money It's not like they're here and they've got a beautiful voice. It was, oh, we're so glad you brought your baby because now she can sing in the choir and it's so beautiful. They just make noise. Babies are food processors. <laughs> We've had four of them. We've got four grandchildren and now one great-grandchildren. They just process food when they're babies. In one end, out the other, and it's a continual process. But why do we get so excited about them? They can't do anything positive. And I know, because we just, just had, a, had a great grandchild. It's like, we're all going, oh, oh, and I'm remembering back to the grandchildren. I'm remembering back to the children. It's like, 
We do this all the time. It's like, with ours, it's like, why? And it dawned on me one day, just somewhere, I had a child over here, and said, because that child's new. New means they have no past. They have no old identity. There's, they're nothing but fresh start. And I don't care if they were born into the poorest family in the church or the wealthiest family in the church. It has nothing to do with what God might do with their life. I love when we do children's dedications because one of the things I always pray over them, God, is even when we release the children on Sundays, Lord, only you know the potential that's in that child. Only you know. Only you know. And a baby's brand new. That means no past. No old identity to get over. No baggage that they're bringing with them. I mean, it is new. And when you went, came into Christ, you became a new creature in Christ. New. If you've ever gotten a new car, it's different than getting a used one. Because when you buy a used one, they put in there the smell new. When you get a new one, they don't have to put it in because it is, oh, this could preach, because it is new. The smell of the new comes out of the newness of the car. When you've got a used car, you're trying to treat it as if it's new. You've got to make it smell new, and you know it's not new, but you know you've made it smell new. And too many Christians are trying to make ourselves smell new because we don't realize that we are new creatures in Christ. The Lord has been dealing me with this week about some of these issues in my life because there are things I'm trying, areas I, God wants me to grow in. It's like you keep running into a block and the Lord's begun to show me because there's things from your child, from your past that are still stuck up in your mind. And I remember something that somebody told me when I was probably 10 years old. 10 years old. You'll never be able to do this. And I realized that one of the things I struggle in Is, comes from what that man said to me when I was 10 years old. The memory of that, because I've told several people sometimes, that means the memory of that's in there. Words, words are so important what you speak over your children and you speak to them. So important. So important. So important. And while this was coming back up to me this week, last week I think it was, the Lord reminded me of this verse. He says, John, you understand you're not that same person. You're not, you're not the person that he said those words to. You're a new creature. Oh, we didn't finish the verse. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So the new creation is in Christ. Look at this. Behold, look. Old things have passed away. Why? Because you're new. And all things inside of you have become new. This has got to get on the inside of you. It's too easy to read over, and the problem with this verse is many of us know it so well, it just throws off our tongue, and this is what it is with me. 
I've taught this, memorized this. I mean, this comes off of my tongue when I'm thinking about, you know, whatever. I can say it with lots of scriptures without thinking about them, and that's not good. You should admit it. You are a new creature. All things have passed away. That means they're dead. They're gone. You may have them, listen carefully, you may have the memory of them up here, but that memory is associated with a new person that never was involved in it. I've mentioned this before, but a doctor explained to me because of something that I had a number of years ago where I kept feeling something in a part of my body and the doctor said, most likely that's no longer there. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's called nerve memory. He said, during the Civil War, when unfortunately they had to amputate a lot of men's legs, they discovered that after they'd amputate the legs, the men could still feel their feet. They would get up and, and, and their feet would itch and they looked down, there's no foot there. How can that happen? Because your nerve has memory. But it's remembering something that isn't there anymore. You understand that? So just because you're, you're feeling your big toe itch doesn't mean it's itching. It doesn't mean if you've got a big toe. So just as your nerve has memory, your soul has memory. So my mind was soul was remembering the impact of those words that man said until I remembered. Wait a minute, that was that was about the old me. That's not who I am anymore. This is why renewing your mind is so important. That you are a new creature. Whenever you got saved, who you used to be died. Some of you may need to hold a funeral for yourself just to get it in your senses and let go of it. And that's what the Lord told me. He says, you've got to cast those words down. You've got to stop thinking those things because that's not about you. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Let's go over and look. Um, let's, and, uh, verse 18 goes on to say, and all those things, new things are of God. So what he's saying here, you're a new creature in Christ and the new creature you are is born out of Him. This, has got a, this isn't sinking in. You're not who you used to be. You're a brand new person on the inside. And the new person is born out of God. So whatever He is, you are on the inside. Which is why Ephesians 1 can say God planned ahead of time before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. You're holy and without blame before Him if you're in Christ. I didn't say you've acted that way or I've acted that way, but who you are in your nature is holy and without blame. And what Paul does in Ephesians and what Paul does in, in, in Galatians and what Paul does in Colossians is remind them of who they are in Christ and what God has done for them so that then he can say, now that we remember who you are, start acting like who you are. but we haven't renewed our minds to what the Word of God says about us. So we're walking around, we intellectually know we're, we're saved, I'm going to heaven, but we haven't renewed our mind that I'm not that, I'm a new creature in Christ. 
Oh, we're going to have to end here, I think. Yeah, because if I start the other one, it's gonna, I've got to explain it more. I just want you to meditate on that during this week. The word new. <laughs> and the problem with that is you're so familiar with the word, you think, I know that. No, it's got to sink in what new means when it comes to you. That when you came to Christ, you became a new person. You became a... That means all the guilt, all the shame, all the bad self-image, all the abuse, all the baggage that you had growing up as a child, all the things, they didn't happen to you. You're looking at me like my head's upside down. Your soul has the memory of it, but they didn't happen to you. They happened to the old you that died with Christ. They didn't happen to you. It's not mind games. It's the truth, a word of what happened to you when you came in Christ. But see, this is exactly what I saw when I read through that today. We're walking around like Onesimus who had to deal with the attitude now, he was going to have to go back to this old house where his last time he was there, he was a thief and a slave, and now he's going to walk in there as a brother, a beloved brother of equal status with his former master. So not only did Philemon have to change his image, but Onesimus had to change his image. And most of us are still walking in our relationship with God, walking in our relationship with one another as if we're still slaves. Because a slave in a household like that has a self-image that isn't positive. They don't walk around with their head up like this. They don't walk into the, into the dining room and just sit down at the table and eat whatever there. But when you're a son... When you're a child, you have every right to go into every part of that house and sit down. And now he's got to change his image of himself simply because of the change that's taken place. He's not the same Onesimus that left that house. You, can you see this? It's got to get in us. It's one thing to see it up here. It's got to, and I'm talking to me as much as you tonight, it's got to get in us. If any man be in Christ, it's the key to almost everything in your walk. It's the key to our confidence before the Lord. It's the key to our exercising the authority we've been given as Christians. We struggle with receiving things from God because somewhere inside we're not worthy. There's shame inside of us. We don't have confidence because I haven't prayed this week the way I didn't read my Bible today. All of those things don't change who you are on the inside. And God sees you based on who you are. In fact, John 17, Jesus said, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Why? Because you are Jesus on the inside. You are Jesus on the inside. We are in Christ. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. And I have to end here. I have to end here. We're going to run out of time. We'll, we'll pick up here, I believe, next week. So... 
Father, we just thank you tonight. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. Father, we prayed at the beginning that your spirit would search down into the depths of your heart. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. The things that you've freely given to those who love you and that he would reveal them to us. Father, the most basic things we need to know from you is how much you love us. That we're accepted in the beloved. That we are highly favored by you. That your favor, your love, your grace has been lavished upon us. And we struggle so much, Lord, in receiving that because we know ourselves. We know the inner thoughts that we've had and we know that you know them and we know there are motives that are so often selfish and we know sometimes and many times we're self-centered and we're sometimes fearful. We know all these things about us and so we hold back, Lord, in receiving from you and we hold on to that old identity but your word tells us that's not who we are anymore. And Lord, this has got to come by revelation to us. And so, Father, we pray tonight that as we prepare to dismiss, that your spirit would do in us what we asked you at the beginning. Take the word new, new creation, and begin to birth that in our hearts, the reality of what it means to be new with you, brand new with a new start, the past gone, fresh and clean. Make that real to us by your spirit. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.